Hi everyone and a very warm welcome to this episode of the Learning Journeys podcast brought to you by Lacuna Learning. Thanks so much everyone for listening and subscribing and we hope you're all keeping really well just now. In today's episode, it's a bit special, we're joined by Australian coach and coach developer Ashley Ross. Uh, We are on different time zones, so it is very early in the morning in the UK and in the evening in Australia, so we're um, we're just about making it work, I think, one way or another. So uh, pretty excited to have someone from a completely different continent on the podcast today. Ash has had an just an incredible career and I just want to unpack that a little bit today so I won't over introduce him. He's worked in different places across the world. He had roles with New Zealand cricket, um, national men's assistant and head coach at one point. He worked for the ICC in Dubai, Sri Lanka and India. He's He lives in South Australia. He worked for the South Australian Sport Institute for, for quite a while. He's now out on his own, carving his own path and helping others and, and doing some just some really cool, innovative work. We came across each other during, um, I suppose, the middle of last year, he shared, um, I think it was on LinkedIn, a, an article or a research study he'd done evaluating the impact of his work as a coach developer um, in South Australia. And I was just really fascinated by it. We had a couple of follow-up calls and then then we brought brought some mates along and uh, we have a little group now called Scozies, Scottish Australians, and we come together and talk about coaching, coach development. So yeah, just a real privilege to be part of that. So a shout out to all the Scozies who might well be listening to this uh, as well. Interested to see what where Ash and I go with this. I'm really stoked to have him along to share his journey. So thanks so much for your time, Ash. No, thank you. This is uh, this is a rare privilege to be being around the world. You were just telling me how widespread your uh, your uh, listenership is. So. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm honoured to be on something that's uh, so worldwide. Yeah, no, thanks, Ash. Although, as we talked before the pod, I think the number of Australian listeners has gone up exponentially since you started sharing it. So uh, thank you for sharing the pod across Australia. It's much appreciated. Listen, by way of warming you up today and the regular feature on the pod, the standard question is this. Now, I'm interested because a lot of people say places like Australia and New Zealand, when they do this because they live in the Northern Hemisphere, you, of course, live in Australia. So... If you could go on an adventure anywhere in the world, where would you go? Who would you go with? And what would you do? Oh, look, I've, I've got to admit to being a sports tragic. And so I think for me, the, um, the great adventure would be Augusta, go to the Masters and, uh, and walk around with, um, with Greg Norman and just listen to what really happens out there. And that would be a, that would be a treat. I'm, as I said, a bit of a, a, a sports tragic and, and I've been fortunate to be some great places in the world, but uh, Augusta certainly just happens to have something special about it. And, you know, I love golf, but unfortunately golf doesn't love me. Oh, yeah. God, what a great answer. Didn't expect that one coming at all. The shark, of course. You've got to talk to the shark, don't you, when he's out there? Well, I come from a family of golfers. They they would very much appreciate that and say, yeah, go, go, to, go to Georgia and uh, watch the Masters. So well, that's a good one. Nobody said that. Um, so thank you very much for the fact. I don't think anyone said the US yet. So anyway, brilliant. Right, listen, I mean, we could be here for five hours chatting with us, I'm sure, but we don't have that much time. Your journey into sport, where did it start? And I guess where where, where did it lead you? Yeah, just really fortunate to, um, I think, to, to grow up in Australia. It's got this this notion of, of sport as part of what you do. And so it's almost almost like it's not a choice. You, you grow up and you, you've either got a bat in your hand in, in summer or you're kicking an AFL ball around in in winter. It's just what you did. There was no sort of other things that you did. All your mates did the same thing and your school promoted the same thing. And so the weather was conducive to it. So just that's just what you did. And so fortunate to 
to then, as I was sort of progressing through school, to think, well, what do I want to do for the rest of my life? And I realised the probably thing I wanted to do more than anything was to spend the rest of my life in a tracksuit. <laughs> so, so my professional ambitions turned around to being either a, a phys ed teacher or a coach, and that was the professional of my educational path that I went down. So I got a bachelor of education in physical education, but uh, early on realised that I didn't particularly want to be in a school with bells going off all the time. So uh, coaching was a was the next best. Next best thing, and, and you know, incredibly fortunate to spend all my professional life basically, um, basically coaching because I wasn't a great player. So to be able to be in and around it was uh, was just an incredibly fortunate opportunity. Yeah, I'm I'm laughing because uh, I always tell people I worked extremely hard to get to wear a tracksuit for a living. So yeah, that that really <laughs> resonates. So you talked about just having like every sport under the sun. What kind of sports did you engage with when you were younger and, and where, did, where did they kind of lead you? Probably AFL football was a bit of a passion at the start, but that was a winter sport so, and cricket was the other side. But I picked up whatever you could. So tennis ball, you know, tennis rackets, golf clubs, uh, whatever was going around at the time. So if it had a, had a bat and a ball, and that was enough, whether that was hitting it against a wall by myself or just with mates or whatever was going. So whatever sport there was around, I reckon I had a crack at it at some stage, basketball, lacrosse, but not good enough at any of them to to really make a mark and, and enough of a fascination to work out or to try and work out why is everyone else good at this, these things and I'm not, I'm not that good. So uh, that became a bit of a, a driving force as to, well, there's got to be an answer somewhere. So uh, it's probably created a perpetual uh, curiosity for, uh, for what, what makes people great. Oh, I love that. So what you're saying is that because maybe you weren't the most successful or talented, inverted commas, player, you became fascinated by why other people were um, were good at it. When I was an undergraduate student, my supervisor for my dissertation project, is just, she's a world expert in the area of motor learning and um, that kind of stuff. <laughs> she always likes to tell the story that she's in like the lowest like 1% of ability in like some of these tasks uh, but she's completely fascinated by why she's so rubbish at them so maybe it's the same thing okay so so why cricket what was it about cricket that I guess fascinated you and, and led you to want to coach it and help other people to get better at it yeah well I was sort of football and cricket were my, my two big sports as I was maturing and sort of having to make a bit of a decision got injured in football played uh, then followed the cricket path uh, had a really serious car accident when I was only 24 or 25, which, which precluded my career, but, um, or, or finished my career. But more importantly, and I look at it as a huge advantage now, is that I realize now I was never going to make it. Even though I had this, this desire to, to play at the highest level, I was never going to make it. And having the car accident, which, which, um, finished my playing career meant that I started coaching at 24 and 25. So when the rest of my mates, and and uh, and colleagues were uh, still finishing their career at 34 35 I'd been coaching for 10 years and uh you know that that had led me to a, a level of exposure and experience that um that put me you know a decade ahead of of everyone else in my uh, in my you know age group wow i've got this this incredible sense that this trauma incident where it sounds like you were extremely badly hurt was really important in what what shaped your life what what was it like around the time of that accident for you? Oh, I, mean, I look back at it now as being quite pivotal because it was the thing that put me down the coaching path. I was always keen on coaching, but playing, I, was, I had these delusions of grandeur. 
but now realise I wasn't going to make it looking back on it and what I was experiencing. So it was pivotal. Yeah, I had a head injury, which um, means I basically couldn't continue, you know, have the focus and concentration to be able to play consistently. But then just said, well, look, I love the game and I love being in and around and I'd love to be able to, to you know, do it at a very high level. It's not going to be in playing anymore. It certainly wasn't going to be in umpiring. Some of the discussions I had with umpires on the field so I thought it was better that um, that coaching was going to be the coaching was going to be the method, and, and having the, the phys ed background, it just seemed uh, so logical and so very fortunate to be in and around. Um, I was working for Victorian cricket, Australian cricket at stage, and just started hanging around state squads and, and elite squads. You know, went from one year from moving the cones to um, our state coach at one stage, stage said, "Listen, can you just stand over there?" So the boys can run around you when they're running their running their shuttles, and I went up to him afterwards and said, "Listen, can you, I'd really like to thank you for my promotion." He said, "What do you mean?" I said, "Well, last year I, I would move the cones. This year I am a cone." <laughs> of all the things I thought you were going to say today, being a human cone wasn't very high on that list. <laughs> oh, well, I am overqualified. Uh, yeah. Okay. Overqualified for moving cones or being a human cone. Sorry. Being okay. a cone. So was that where the coaching started? You said you're working for Victorian Cricket. Was that where it all began? Was that your first coaching roles? Yeah, look, I was really fortunate to pick up a job um, introducing cricket into schools. It was the modified modified cricket called Kanga Cricket, which is the first thing that we did. And that employed me um, in the state association. And then I just moved into working with better players and better players, worked from, from working with um, junior state squads and then up into the, the senior state squad. And uh, just uh, really, really fortunate to be around some great players of the time uh, in that in those state squads was Shane Warne and Dean Jones, Merv Hughes, Damian Fleming, Brad Hodge, you know, players who had a significant Australian careers. And um, I just happened to be in and around and, of course, just had enough sense to shut up and, and just listen. Now, for the, the benefit of listeners who, who don't know cricket, uh, that list was, was quite a significant list of names of players that were around at that time. So it sounds a bit like uh, right place, right time for like quite a, quite a rich learning environment for you. Yeah, absolutely. You know, incredibly fortunate that um, anyone who knows cricket knows that there's, uh, when those cricket discussions are going on, there's a lot of garbage talked, but there's 5% gold. And you always just had to sit and wait for the 5% gold. And I was incredibly fortunate to be surrounded by, by so much uh, wisdom. And, uh, and probably the only clever thing I did was, as I said, to keep my mouth shut and keep my ears open and uh, try and just pack myself with as much knowledge as I could. Yes, there's some good advice in there, I think, for the people listening. Yeah, there's 5% gold, so there's 95% stuff you can just filter out, but there's 5% of stuff you should really be listening to. I want to go back a second. I want to, we're going to dive forward into to where your coaching career led you in a second, but I just want to pause on something because I've got this fascination and curiosity that you've kind of obviously maybe always had. I'm so interested to know where you think that came from because I've got this, like, you know, for a lot of young coaches to have the wisdom to, as you put it, shut your mouth and open your ears and listen that's they've got to really work to that because they don't yet understand what it is that they're listening for but it sounds like for you that, that was always there and that I couldn't make didn't make it as a player so I'm going to be fascinated by what how I might learn from others and how I might help others to get better at this where did that kind of fascination and curiosity come from yeah I think it, for me it came from being exposed at a reasonably high level as a player but 
but just understanding, understanding that I couldn't do it. I just didn't have what it took and I couldn't understand why because I was working hard and I was doing all the things and I just didn't understand why. And I was surrounded by what was, what people told me were good coaches and they couldn't, they couldn't provide me with an answer as to why. And so I went down the, the path of thinking, well, I just don't have the talent. And then I started to question, well, is this about talent or is there something else? And that's where it's really this curiosity started to, to move. And, and it started with listening to cricketers, but then starting to listen to other athletes and then starting to look into psychology. And then there's Dweck and then there's, you know, there's Ericsson and then there's all these, these, you know, wonderful people and wonderful readings that, um, every, every time I read something, it actually started more questions rather than answered what I was thinking. So my curiosity deepened as a result of searching for answers. And, uh, and that's what really sparked this, this yeah, ongoing search for, for what better always looks like. I love that. What better always looks like. And this idea of just trying to get better at getting, getting better. Yeah. Well, thank you for humoring my curiosity about where your curiosity <laughs> came from. It's a question about questions really, wasn't it? So we've been coaching at state level. Where did that lead you? You know, how did your coaching career progress from from those cur- that curious young coach? How did that go? Yeah, again, um, when opportunity sort of just came came knocking, I've been working hard. But but um, Australian cricket system values uh, ex playing experience, and so I was told with un- with no uncertain terms that I would never coach at a higher level because I hadn't played. And I was that didn't concern me so much because I'm quite happy to be a soldier. But a guy from uh, New Zealand made an appointment to come and see me about an academy that we were setting up. And uh, I had half an hour in my, my diary. And three hours later when he walked out, he said, would you like a job in New Zealand? And John Reid, who was the high performance manager, was setting up an academy in, uh, in New Zealand. And I was just incredibly fortunate to be in the right place at the right time. We obviously completely hit off as to what we thought the future of cricket was. I was um, delighted by what I was hearing from him. Um, and, uh, it was not a matter of, of how many games you'd played over there. It was a matter of what you knew and what you could bring to the table. So I went over there and, and um, did a, effectively a three day interview doing some, some, uh, coaching and incredibly fortunate to, uh, to meet uh, Chris Doig, who was the CEO at the time. And he said, uh, listen, if you come over here and you try, um, and you do something that everyone else is doing, don't come. He said, if you come over here and try 10 things, and nine of them are abject failures, but one of them works, then that's great because remember, we've only got 4 million people, and if we do the same as everyone else, we're never going to make it. So you've got to come over here, and this is what you've got to bring. And for me, that was just music to my ears. Oh, Ash, there's a lot I'd like to ask you about that. That's incredible. So, yeah, I love that. You know, If you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you already have, that kind of idea. And it would be my impression of New Zealand and also Australia, but also particularly New Zealand, that that is a lot of how they work, that we're interested in people who are going to innovate and think differently and think critically. And, yeah, it's that um, that four million million people thing versus, I don't know what the population Australia is, but it's a lot more than that, right? And... So you've maybe got more talent to burn. You've almost got more people to play with and, and work with. Whereas you're like, we've only got a tiny playing population. Like in, in my day job, we're talking about like 100 athletes across two disciplines, mm-hmm. maybe mm-hmm. 80 athletes, probably really 60, something like competing regularly. So you're like, that's tiny numbers. So so therefore you've got to be much more careful how you support them and how you, how you progress them through. Yeah, that was certainly um, 
certainly the ethos of New Zealand cricket as well, is that we can't burn them. We've got to make the best out of everything that we have. Um, but it also it was this wonderful feeling that um, they always grinned under their uh, under their breath all the time that, hey, this is a demographic advantage. We've got four million, but we're, they're all really close. So we can get them together. We can provide with great facilities and provide them with great systems and structures and something special might just happen. So it was this wonderful, um, this notion of, of the collision of circumstance that Syed used to use in his book, Bounce. And that was a lovely idea is, is what are the, what are the circumstances that we need to collide to create great things? And, and I feel delighted that New Zealand cricket, you know, has, uh, has just recently gone to number one in the, in the test world, which is for the size of the demographics is an extraordinary, extraordinary performance. And I think a lot of the stuff that we did was built on the back of John Reid, who was the high performance manager at the time, who unfortunately has just passed away. I'm just wondering what it was like for you. You know, the CEO basically sat you down and said, we want innovative thinkers and people that are going to drive things forward and try stuff out. And, you know, for every 10 ideas, one will stick. What was that like for you to kind of be given that kind of permission to say, you need to get on with this and get moving and try stuff out and innovate and see what sticks? What did it feel like when you had that conversation? Uh, for me, it was wonderfully empowering because I think most people in Australia either saw me as coming from left field or part of the lunatic fringe. And I, I was never quite sure which one, but in in, um, uh, in New Zealand, they're quite happy for to tolerate someone from the lunatic fringe because it was that that one thing. So, you know, I got great support to do some really really cool things and, and introduce some different things, and and had wonderful sounding boards over there who were uh, you know really world-class thinkers that um, I was fortunate to be around. So it just became a really, really great melting pot of stuff that we could bring forward. So they brought you over this maverick left field head of the creativity gang, I guess. Where did it lead you in New Zealand? It sounded like they were really keen to have you and you really enjoyed it. How did you progress from that kind of academy work? Uh, look, I was really fortunate that, again, uh, right time, right place, we were doing some, some stuff that was a little bit different in the academy, but it was getting really good traction. And the, the senior side, the black caps were just struggling at that time. They just come back and they were facing very, very shortly, uh, Commonwealth Games in Kuala Lumpur in 98, a World Cup in 99 and a, a test tour of England at the back of the World Cup in 99. And they were very keen to add some, um, some skills to the, management team. So I got uh, added as the technical advisor and brought a lot of the ideas that I was using with the academy into the, uh, into the black caps and uh, was, was incredibly fortunate to, uh, to be added at the same time as Gilbert Anoka, who's now the leadership, the leadership manager of the All Blacks and has been for 20 years. So to, um, to sit and ride on his coattails was, uh, was pretty special to, for, me to be working on the technical side and for Bert to be sitting there and saying, okay, well, this is how we're going to introduce it considering the, the, uh, the mindset of the players and how we manage that. And so it was this beautiful combination that I've learned so much from. I was incredibly fortunate. Yeah. I do know. I'm almost struck by you being in his technical advisor. I said that with inverted commas because the way you talked there was, although obviously you knew a thing or two about cricket, undoubtedly. I get this sense that actually what you were really interested in was maybe more around psych and around mentality and around mindset. And so, yeah, I'm, I guess I'm interested in where did that come from? You've talked about that a few times in this conversation that a real interest, obviously in the technicalities of the sport, 
but but also in um, maybe maybe some of the psych components or those other components. Where did that kind of come from? Yeah, I've been involved with the team for, for probably three or four years, and we'd just come back from Kenya where we'd won the first ever world tournament of, by a New Zealand men's team. We won the ICC Mini World Cup, it was called at that stage. So we were flying, we would come back from Kenya, and uh, I was pretty pretty full of myself, <laughs> having just been involved in a, in a leadership team that had created history for New Zealand. And uh, I was flying from Christchurch to, to Auckland and sitting next to the guy next to me, and uh, having a chat as you do, and he said, uh, "So what do you do?" And I said, uh, oh, "Look, I'm in I'm in cricket." He said, "Fantastic! What do you do? Bat or bowl?" And I said, "No, no, no mate, no, I don't, uh, I don't bat or bowl." He said, "But you said you're in cricket." I said, "Yeah, I am in cricket." He said, well, "What do you do?" I said, "Well, I coach." And he turned around and said, "Well, you're not in cricket." And you know, I've been coaching twenty years, and we've just come back from winning a world championship, and I dropped a, <laughs> a pretty heavily laden sentence with a, the odd expletive in it that no, I was pretty seriously in cricket. <laughs> and uh, and he turned around and he said, no, you're in the people game. And that was the uh, epiphanous moment in my in my coaching okay. is that he, he hit it perfectly. As it didn't matter what I knew because I knew as as a, because I didn't have a great playing background. I thought my responsibility to be a good coach was to pack myself with as much knowledge as I could. So if anyone asked me a question about cricket, I could give them a viable answer and therefore I had some kind of credibility. But he, that beautiful statement that he made made me realise that, no, it didn't matter what I knew, it mattered what my athletes knew and could do. So my whole focus became on transfer of knowledge, not of knowledge of itself, and then how do I actually, how do we get to great, get great people who played great cricket? And uh, and again, having the, um, the stewardship of, of Gilbert Anoka there, who is as is, is good as anyone I've ever seen in the world, in just his ability to deal with people. So to be able to sit back and watch that was uh, was a rare treat, but that was certainly the change in, in my coaching away from the technical to more about coaching the people that was in front of me. Well, you are not the first person on this podcast to talk about coaching people. Our shared friend and acquaintance, Bobby Sin, mm. Bob always says, doesn't matter if you're coaching bullfighting or coaching archery or whatever, you're coaching people. Um, so, but I love that story of the flight home and just this person leveling you and just <laughs> in a nice way, like not in a horrible way at all. Just saying, nah, you're in the you're in the people business, mate. You're not <clears throat> cricket's just the context you operate in. Yep. Sorry, that, that and that became probably the dominant thought for the rest of my days is that this understanding that you were in the people business and that coaching was a generic art. So it wasn't simply about cricket or or golf or. And indeed, I, I challenge the coaches that I deal with now is, you know, could you coach Tiger Woods and just get them to think about, well, what's the coaching process that you go through here? And yes, the professional knowledge is around golf in that case, but really, you know, what are the kind of things that you'd say? What questions would you ask? Because those questions are generic for any great coach. And so my, the coaches, our greatest coaches, they're the ones who say, oh, yeah, yep, I could coach him. And you say, well, what would you say? And they'll invariably turn around and say, well, what are you working on? And that's the ultimate coaching question. The athlete-centered coaching question, what are you working on? And then being able to work from there. You have helpfully provided me with the perfect seamless segue into what I wanted to ask you next, which was, <laughs> so you had this this career and you, you're a very modest character and you belie a highly successful career in, in high-performance space. Uh, but I know you more as a coach developer in recent years, so... 
you were talking about working in a different environment and I find myself in a, a place now trying to gain credibility occasionally, but generally gaining credibility by not knowing anything and kind of owning that. What was your journey like into working as a coach developer across a whole of different sports? Yeah, you're right. I was incredibly narrow because I was down the cricket path, <laughs> um, cricket rabbit hole, some might say, very strongly. And I was really fortunate to get the job with South Australian Sports Institute, which had Olympic-facing sports, no cricket, and, and I had no background in any of the sports that I was dealing with. And uh, there was, I suppose, a bit of trepidation around that. But then I realised that it was actually valued very highly by the coaches because we were never ever going to have a technical argument about how Kyle Chalmers, who's the current 100 metre um, freestyle champion uh, from Rio, we're never going to talk to his coach about how we should be putting his hand in the water because that's not not what I know. But what we are going to talk about is how do we communicate? How do we make sure there was understanding? How do we make sure that that, that understanding is going to move forward into learning and, and into performance? And they're the wonderful conversations that were had across 15 different uh, 15 different sports and uh, and and great coaches who were just focused on wanting to get better. And so my my focus was never upon assessing anyone. My focus was only ever about moving them from one point forward. And I was really fortunate to have people who who shared that that uh, excitement about just wanting to get better. Yeah, you talked there about what you offered being highly valued by the coaches. What was it about your approach that they valued so much, do you think? For me, I think the most important thing is I heard this the other day and it's resonated with me really strongly, is that um, that engagement and development occur at the pace of trust. And I was incredibly fortunate to have uh, the guy who employed me, he's just you know, did a terrific job saying, or asked me actually, what are you going to hap- what's going to happen in the first 90 days of this job? And uh, I said to him, look, to be fair, you're not going to see much in the first 90 days because I'm going to be spending a lot of time just in people's environments, just watching, just trying to be around, just trying to develop trust. And, um, and Tom Patrick, who's now with New South Wales Institute of Sport, is a, is a terrific fella um, and really, really good in the high-performance space. He said, that's great news because if you had have said anything else, we would have thought we got the wrong fella. And there we go again. Great leaders creating environments for people to do great things. Someone saying, listen, I expect you to be out there doing that. I, In my first meeting with, with my boss when I took my current job in canoeing, um, he said, if I see you in the office too much, we're going to have a difficult conversation because I pay you to develop my coaches, not to sit in offices writing courses. The people who are brilliant in that already, we don't need you to do that. If you're not with my coaches, I'm going to wonder what it is you're doing. Um, it's kind of, kind of the same thing, right? Yeah, absolutely. And to have that support, to be just in their space, to be able to having conversations and to be able to... I think one of the, the, the best tools that you can use is to show some vulnerability. You know, vulnerability and the Australian male don't sort of necessarily line up that well, but the ability to, to be vulnerable to show these people that, uh, hey, look, I've made a lot of these mistakes myself and, uh, you know, this isn't me telling you how to do these things. This is really about you. It's, it's really exactly as we were as, as coaches of athletes. It was being athlete-centred. This is very much about being coach-centred, about saying, okay, what are the things that you want to work on? And, uh, and how do you like to learn? And let's try and marry those things together. So the notion that, um, that we have uh, these coaches who are going to do a, a coach education course, which has its place, but most importantly, there was a lovely thing I heard the other day is that, is that uh, beginner coaches do courses, intermediate coaches do conferences, and great coaches do coffee. 
Now, obviously, there's a little bit of, of license in that, but that's that's exactly what I saw in, in you know, trying to match up people with how they like to learn rather than saying this is the way to learn. So it's, it's really around this notion of, of respecting adult learners rather than child learners. So the difference between andragogy and, uh, and child learning, which is more around the pedagogy. But unfortunately, we've often treated our, our senior coaches, our, our mature coaches, as if they're children. So, and you can see why people get turned off rather than, rather than really getting turned on and being lifelong learners because it suits their style and it actually suits what they're, they're interested in. The more we can do that, you know, I don't think there's any secret as to, as to why people, you know, stay engaged if we treat them like adult learners rather than, rather than children. Oh, there was a lot in there. I'm going to, as I often do in the podcast, encourage listeners to listen back to the last couple of minutes. There was an awful lot in there. I, I want to circle back around a couple of things, but that's okay. Interestingly, I had a conversation with a good friend and colleague, Dusty Miller, um, and he said, learning happens at the speed of trust and or engagement happens at the speed of trust. And you kind of chatted a bit about a few things there, but I want to ask you, um, you talked about, you know, creating space where it's okay to be vulnerable and obviously that perhaps culturally in Australia being quite a hard thing to, to get sometimes. How do you go about building trust with your learners? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question because I think it's it's so fundamental because that's the game we're in. We're in the relationship game. And I think um, for me, it was important to be really respectful of them. They were all good coaches. And so I used to have a sign on the door. The reason you walk in here is not because you're a bad coach. It's because you're a good coach who wants to get better. And so for me, it was all about building this trust that uh, I'm here to help you and indeed, it was really important for me to establish with them that I was their coach, not the administrator's spy. So we would never do assessments. We'd do profiles and we'd talk about actually moving people forward consistent with what they needed to, to get to get better at. So my whole focus was never on competencies or those type of things. It was always a matter of wherever you are now, it's simply about moving forward. So my whole focus was only on better. I love that. And I, you know, I absolutely believe that you had a sign in your door that said, you're not here because you're a bad coach, you're in trouble, you're here because you're a good coach and you want to get better. I love that. I might, if I ever have an office, I might pin that to my door as well. Um, well but you I shouldn't be sitting in there. <laughs> oh, yeah, very good point. But you obviously had a need for an office to do some magical, innovative thinking and stuff. Maybe, I don't know. But listen, there's nothing wrong with a coffee with a coach, right? Well, and that was the lovely thing is, is um, I think some of the things that the coaches rated most of all was just the ability to drop in for a chat, just to be in and around and to have a coffee and have a, you know, I had used to have a um, a, a big jelly bean jar in my in my office and the uh, what it was what I would say was I had a sheet underneath the jelly bean. The jelly beans are free, but you have to have a coaching conversation with me if you're going to have a jelly bean. And so people would, I'm sure, would just come in for the jelly bean and get trapped for a coaching conversation. Oh, I love it. You're, you're gamifying coaching conversations there. There's, yeah, there, there's some great research on this. There is some, a study where they, um, in a coffee shop, they were trying to increase tips and they tried this out and they had one that was tips for cat lovers and tips for dog lovers. And tips increased by like 90% because everyone wanted to engage. Like, no, I'm a, I like dogs, no, I like cats. And so it just was, it became a game, right? And so I love the, the jelly beans. If you want a jelly bean, you've got to come in and talk to me about pedagogy or learning something do you know what I mean something's going to happen here I love that yeah, brilliant I would love very much to ask you if you've got any advice for young coaches or even coach developers coming through you know you've had an incredible career and you've learned just a massive amount and it sounds like you're still learning every day 
what what would be some of your advice you might offer them from maybe lessons learned along the way and things that might have tripped you up? Oh, definitely keep your um, keep your mouth closed and your ears open um, is, is a big one. But I think the other one advice I give to anyone who's who's really wanting to get into the game because it's a hard game to get into. There's not a lot of spots. There's not a lot of positions at the at the uh, the pointy end. Is volunteer. Just give openly of your time and make yourself irreplaceable so that you just end up doing stuff. You go from from moving the cones to being a cone to throwing balls to being able to coach. And that's just the best advice I can I can give is because people aren't going to just run up and knock you over to give you a job. But once you can actually show that you've got something of worth and something of value, then, um, then the good things will happen. So, you know, you, you spend a lot of time in this game bashing your head against the wall thinking you're getting nowhere but you're not actually, you're, you're probably bashing the wall down and someone's going to notice at some stage. So, yeah, don't ever think about volunteering as a cost, but always think of it as an investment. Oh, thanks, Ash. There was predictably a lot in there, so thank you very much for that. Um, I'm going to attempt to pick up some, some, of the, some of the best lessons that you shared um, in the last little of conversation here for the benefit of listeners at home. There was a lot in there. Um, I'd still love the fact that you would go and see Greg Norman at the Masters as your place to travel around the world. I think that's that's outstanding. Um, so thank you for that one. Oh, there was a lot in there. Um, spending your life in a tracksuit. Yeah, there's um, nothing wrong with that in, in, in my, my world. And I just love that um, out of what was a trauma incident in your life, that, that car accident came, you had that real fascination and that drive and that desire to, to do coaching and wondering if I wasn't that good how did they get so much better than I did and what's the process behind that and that real curiosity there's a lot there's a lot in there yeah you said this a couple of times wait for the five percent gold you know we have eyes and ears uh, you know a mouth for talking and ears for listening but perhaps we should do more with the mouth closed than more with the ears open <clears throat> that came through a lot yeah and just um I loved you talked earlier about coming from left field or being part of the lunatic fringe just a creative maverick <laughs> Someone out there thinking differently and challenging the norm, and in a sport like cricket, you know, it's been around a long time. That's probably quite a challenging place to do. And bringing people with you, it's all well and good being creative, but if you can't bring people with you, it doesn't it doesn't matter, right? Coaching is a generic art. The ultimate coaching question is, what are you working on? Yeah, that's it's such a simple question. It's just sitting with me now. And then I think one of the big things I'm sitting with at the end here was just this: uh, how we develop trust. How do we support an environment where vulnerability is okay? Um, I think that that's massive. Um, you know, you are not here because you're a bad coach. You're here because you're a good coach. You want to get you want to get better. So, oh, there was there was a lot in there. So, thank you um, so so much for for sharing that, Ash. Yeah, it was it was brilliant, and I deliberately didn't over engineer this the planning for this conversation because I just wanted to let it flow. So, so, thank you very very much. People probably might not have known who you were before this conversation, but they undoubtedly know a bit about you now and they might want to keep talking to you. How can they get hold of you? Where can they follow you and, and keep a track on what innovative, creative things you're up to? Yep, um, I'm available at ashley.coachlearningsolutions.com. So you can drop me a line there on the socials and um, Hyper, uh, or just go for Ashley Ross and it'll come up as Hyper on Twitter. And uh, also got a coach learning solutions, which I think is coach learning s on uh, on Twitter. So you can follow me, follow me there. Brilliant, thank you very much. I will stick that in the description so people can can keep a track on him. He does share some pretty cool stuff, everyone. So I would definitely give him a shout out. 
everyone thank you so much for listening um it's been really great we tipped over a thousand downloads the other day so thank you everyone for listening and um yeah great to have people from new parts of the world listening in as well so yeah really grateful for that hit subscribe to make sure you don't miss out and obviously everyone at the moment please stay safe